When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the leadership strategist. Tonight's guest, co-founder and chief visionary officer of Speak House, Shahara Downing. Hey, what you drinking? Boy, there's a whole lot of leadership principles in there. There's a whole lot of things that uh, I hope, to your point, I, I hope my leaders are, are, are taking notes because you, you've you already shared a lot of gems and we haven't even gotten into the core of this conversation <laughs> yet. So l- let me just set up uh, what, this, what this conversation is about because I, I need you to help me articulate quite honestly, what the name of this dadgum podcast means to everybody. Because to me, it makes all the sense in the world. This is kind of how my brain works. But for me, I I like all three, whiskey, jazz, leadership, all literally. Literally, I shared with you my my whiskey collection. It's actually embarrassing how how strong I am in that space. So literally. Uh, Jazz, um, I'm rebuilding my jazz collection. But yeah, that's my thing. Um, jazz and leadership. Every conversation I have uh, with anyone about anything finds some sort of leadership principle that could make that conversation better. And uh, I got to really watch myself to not share those principles. But I also like the metaphor. So for me, the metaphor of whiskey is doing your thing with the folks who enjoy it with you. So your crew irregardless of what people say outside of your crew, because they're not in the crew. So who really cares what they think? I'm doing my thing with my crew. That's whiskey. Jazz, the metaphor is, how do I get from where I am to where I want to be, even in those situations where there's no sheet music, there are no rules, there's no guidebook. I still got to get there. I got to get there on time. And since this is my, my life, I might as well make it sound good along the way. How do I orchestrate the jazz that would allow me to navigate life? And then leadership, for me, the metaphor is nobody eats unless somebody kills something. And, uh, you know, even for my vegan friends, somebody's got to kill a plant. But nobody eats unless somebody kills something. That means that we're, we're you know, marketing is great. Strategy is important. But somebody's got to stand up and say, OK, we're going to make this thing happen. And we're going to start with this step right here. And unless I get better advice, we're going left, right? And uh, that's the metaphor for me. How does that metaphor work for you? Is it, is it, is this just, does this just make sense in my head or is there a connection between whiskey, jazz and leadership uh, for you? I feel that we're all, and I'm talking to whoever's listening, where we've ever felt like 
we've had to separate our personal life from our professional life. And for any Black people out there listening, brown people out there listening, people of color, how often we have to show up and, and carry duality as part of who we are. And this is also indicative for people who are multi-talented, multidisciplinary, that I don't quite know how to bring this and that and this all together. So I don't always feel torn in different directions. And your ability to put together whiskey, jazz, and leadership is an example of alignment and creating a space to be aligned so that you ain't constantly stressed out. You're not constantly trying to navigate who gonna show up today, right? Amanda Seals, she's a comedian. I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she has this, uh, she has a comedy show that's out. And I love this one line where sometimes she says, I have to show up in spaces and ask myself, how black am I gonna have to be today? It can be so tiring to ask yourself on a day-to-day basis, how black am am I going to have to be today? Or how black am I allowed to be today? How black am I deciding I'm going to be today? How, you know, and so with all of our interests, with all of the things that we love, you, you know, and in that space of whiskey, in that space of jazz, in that space of leadership, must we always ask ourselves, how much of ourselves can we show today? Show what you freaking feel. You going to get this today. And not feel like you have to reserve this for that, reserve this for that, or reserve. You have a choice, but the choice should not cause you stress. The choice should not make you feel less than. The choice should not, you know, make you feel like you're showing up inauthentically. The choice that you make should make you feel empowered. So if you show up in a place and you decide, I don't need everybody to know my love for whiskey, this ain't the spot that I want everybody to know. You should feel empowered by that choice, not necessarily like you have to make that choice. So your alignment comes from creating a space and a platform so that whiskey, jazz and leadership is just it is what it is. It is you and and it can work all simultaneously. And we have to assess the spaces that we show up in and ask us. Are aspects of ourselves working simultaneously? Or do I feel like I have to separate them just to show up? And if you feel like you have to separate them to show up, then reassess that space. Wow. I, I mean, there, there's nothing there's nothing for me to ask behind that or, or say behind that. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, pre, that's pretty full. That's pretty full. It, and I can see that in some of, you know, I, I asked you about this idea of your invisible board of directors. And who are some people living or dead that you would have uh, on your board of directors? And you listed Issa Rae. And just the little bit that I know about Issa Rae, she kind of embodies that. She kind of, you know, we're going to make this thing happen some way and and it's going to be fully me. And I don't know how black I get to be, but we're going to find out in the next 15 (laughs) minutes because this this thing's about to happen. Uh, I've just been exposed to Caroline uh, Wenga. At the event that you and I that we were at and oh my gosh she was like I'm here I can't promise what's gonna be on the other side of this 15 minutes but we're gonna find out together and that was quite the experience Carla Harris I'm not familiar with uh, but what are the things that you draw from those 
three uh, women that cause you to say, you know, if I were building a board of directors, I would absolutely want to have those three women on. Yeah, you know, first there's uh, Issa Rae, and I feel like she is this generation's Oprah, right? Like she didn't host a talk show every single day, but she had a show that identified so deeply and so accurately with the sect uh, of of the Black population of young people in a way. And, you know, I'm still considering myself to be young. Um, But she just did an amazing job. And going back to what you were saying about whiskey and jazz and leadership, uh, Issa Rae got her start with a, a series that she created on YouTube called Awkward Black Girl, The Adventures of an Awkward Black Girl. And she didn't try to become something else. Instead, she documented exactly what it was like to be an awkward black girl, you know, that so many people could identify with. So I think in 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 the space of her truly accepting who she is and then creating a space for her to excel, the result of that was her creating a whole HBO series that she was the front runner for. She starred in it, she wrote for it, she directed it, you know, she was producing it, she did everything. And that launched an amazing career of deciding not to separate aspects of herself. And so how she shows up now and creating opportunities for other amazing Black talent um, and and behind the camera, in front of the camera, um, how she's unapologetic. She has this saying where she says, I'm rooting for everybody Black. Love that. You know, like she is just so unapologetic about who she is. And I think that she is not necessarily rewarded by life, you know, but I think that that is the reward of being who you are and and being able to carve out space in this world for just being who you are. And we see that in all of her projects. So I love that with her. I love that she's a leader in that space. Uh, Caroline Wenga, I met her in the bathroom a couple of years ago and uh, I was so excited, Galen, when I got up on the microphone. And I was like, yeah, we met in the bathroom. I don't know if it was like 2018 or 2019. And then she was like, yeah, at the Black Enterprise Women of Power Conference. I was like, oh my God, she remembered who I was. I didn't even tell her which conference, right? Uh, but one thing that drew me to her is the physical representation of her authenticity and how she's committed to it. The way that she wears her hair the clothes that she wears, the style, the earrings. I mean, if you were to take all of the clothes that she wears and put it on a table and separate her from the clothes, you, she, these are the clothes that she would pick out for herself. You know, like these are, they represent who she is internally. And I think that she is a very big trailblazer in the space of what authenticity looks like in white gaze. Who are we showing up? How are we showing up with these white people looking at us? And everybody doesn't have the courage to wear the nose ring. I remember when I got my nose ring, I was like, ooh, are they going to accept this? I'm like, you know what? If I don't get the job because I got a nose ring, then I'm good. I I ain't going to be homeless because of this nose ring. Um, And I think that that is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to showing up authentically in so many of these spaces. The pressure of white gaze. And I think that she is a prime example of, I don't give a F what these white people think. I am who I am. And surprisingly, you can still find great success without having to appease or make them feel safe in our presence. Just by the stuff that we wear, let's maybe give white people a little more credit. 
how much of it of ourselves do we limit our ability to express ourselves in our in, in our culture and our our style and our personality through the things that we wear and the way that we are visually and then she backs it up with how she expresses herself verbally but i will say that she is on the very extreme side of that and and everybody ain't built to be that bold but I think that we can find uh, those bold pieces within ourselves to express ourselves unapologetically. And I love her for that. That's why I love her. And then Carla Harris, you know, she has done so much in the space of business and, and in the financial sector and math ain't my thing. Uh, but every time I've read something from her, every time that I've looked at a video from her, she represents the businesswoman that I aspire to be, you know, how she's navigated that corporate landscape, how she's been able to overcome obstacles, you know, in the space of being a black, strong woman, you know, uh, surrounded by, you know, white people, you know, and, and how smart she has to be, you know, the level of intellect she has. And, and there's a particular type of savvy that a business person has when they're navigating the corporate landscape and when they reach those heights. And because she's done it in such a very stringent, you know, pale industry, like she got to have all the tools, you know. So if I were to put her on my advisory board, I know that she would help me navigate a landscape that I that I don't do and I'm not well versed in. So if I were to have any businesswoman on my side, it it would be her. So that's that's what people represent. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, you're, you're reminding me of a conversation I had with one of my longtime mentors who passed away, I think, two years ago, uh, Mr. Stan Hutchin. And, uh, I, you know, I moved moved uh, out of the company that he was leading. I was in a different company and he and I stayed in touch. And, and uh, you know, I was in kind of an interesting situation at the new company. And so I, I called Stan to get his advice and he said, you know, Galen, leadership is really about instinct. And if you have to think too much about the decisions that you're making in that moment that you're thinking you've lost. And so you've got to be free to do what comes naturally to you. And it was just so appropriate for that time. But I'm, what I'm hearing for you is how do you embrace your instincts? And that doesn't mean that you don't analyze, that you don't take a pause, that you don't reevaluate and get some advice, right? But how much how much time do you need to take to reevaluate how you show up and the things that you do naturally? And in that time that you're taking to reevaluate uh, to reevaluate what you your natural instincts, have you lost? Are you losing because you're you're hesitating? And again, just my experience with you is I see you as being very instinctual. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know if the things that you do on stage are planned or if you just say this moment feels like I need to go left. This moment feels like I need to say, um, you know, this or that. And that sounds like jazz to me. Yes. Oh, come on. <laughs> I like the way you said that, Galen. And, you know, you're I think that you're absolutely right. And, and it really warms my heart. And, you know. For everybody listening, Galen and I have worked together on a couple of different occasions, but this is perhaps maybe one of our most intimate conversations of really hearing and listening to one another. And for you to make that observation about me just being very instinctual, you know, it kind of brings me joy. I think you affirm something within me that it's okay to be instinctual. 
You know, it's okay to be that, you know, and that's something that sometimes I may doubt that maybe I shouldn't be that sometimes, uh, especially as I show up in some of these corporate spaces. But instinct is really trusting your first gut and your first reaction and really just going with it. And sometimes you just have to say, well, forget these consequences, right? And I'm going to give two examples. One, fellas, y'all may be able to identify with this as well. Uh, But ladies, how many times have we been in the dressing room and we put on that dress? It looked really good on the hanger. You put it on and then you feel like you have to adjust and twist and get the angle, look at the mirror, put your head up, turn it back around. You got to do, you got to look at it from so many different ways and adjust your body in so many different ways to still feel like, uh, your instinct right then and there is telling you that that ain't the dress for you, boo-boo, right? Because <laughs> we also know what it feels like to put on a dress and immediately we're like, yes, this is it. Oh my God, I can't wait until I wear this out. Like those are two very distinct feelings. And the one that you have to adjust and switch and turn and look and maybe look at the price tag again, your instinct is telling you that's not for you. When you have to make all those different adjustments just to see if it feels good, then that it then it obviously don't feel good. But that dress that you put on and you're like, oh my God, oh, this hits all in the right places, right? That's your instinct telling you that this is the dress for you. And so if you're looking to ask yourself, well, how do I, how do I strengthen my instinct? How do I identify my instinct? It's in those moments. Galen, there, there used to be this thing that I had back on YouTube years ago. I call it the mammal moments. And your mammal is who you are without thought or hesitation. If you don't have to think about it and you don't hesitate, then that's it. That's wow. what it is. I love it. You're, you're, you're also reminding me of a video that I saw of uh, Jay-Z. And I quote him I quote him a lot more than, than um, I can imagine now that I think back. But he said something like, we should all exist in this state of knowing. And he says, when when I get into the booth, I'm not thinking, I'm not hoping, I just am. And we should all be in pursuit of existing in this state of knowing. And, uh, you know, I can also I can also uh, tie this to Miles Davis, who's my who's my favorite musician of all time. And he says uh, that sometimes you have to play a long time to learn how to play like yourself because we go through this period of trying to sound just like Les Brown or trying to sound just like this person or that person and trying to make the decisions just like Oprah might make them. And it's when we find ourselves and step into ourselves that we get that, that dress experience that people remember us because we're not hesitating. What's your thought about this existing in a state of knowing, as Jay-Z put it? Yeah, like, you know, it's spiritual. And I find it interesting, Galen, because when you asked me to share my favorite leadership books, I have none, right? I'm obviously a leader and I operate in spaces of leadership, right? I run a company. I'm a leader. I read leadership books, but I'd be like, oh, okay, you know. But the books that I shared with you were all spiritual books. And to know self, it's a spiritual thing. We practice in life. We practice who we are when we go to work, 
we practice who we are, you know, when we're dealing with our families, we start to recognize our behaviors. We start to recognize how we respond to certain things. But that is kind of the result of who we are, who we is, who we be. You know, like we can observe. You are that observer. And the one book that I think I included on there, I don't know if I did, but The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, it really starts to help you understand what it is to know self. But it also means to detach from some of these signifiers or these like things that we put on ourselves as to how we know ourselves. So that space of knowing is definitely spiritual. And I can go way off into a tangent, but if you're wondering, how do I know myself better? How do I get more familiar with myself? There's this thing that I do called PMRJ, prayer, meditation, reading, and journaling. Every day I do at least two out of those four. And on a good day, I'm doing all four. But of those, the prayer, all all of them are really helpful, but it's really just sitting with yourself and just listening just listening to yourself and then writing it down, every thought that may come to your mind. Don't think about what you need to write. Just as the words come to your mind, just write it and then look back and read it. That's how you get to know yourself. Um, But it's, it's a very spiritual thing. The outside world does not define it. Who you show up as in the outside world does not define who you are, but it confirms who you are. You confirmed me when you said that I was uh, instinctual, but that was already true. But it was nice to hear the, con- you know, like that confirmation. So knowing who you are, it is really just about sitting with yourself, looking within, listening, being quiet, removing the distractions, and start to decipher what you're repeating to yourself that the world has given you to say to yourself versus the things that you're truly saying to yourself. I love it. I love it. And, you know, you're going to help me with something because I've been rethinking this talk that I give to companies. Uh, and I've given this talk maybe a couple dozen, a couple dozen times. It's called uh, Nine Steps to Being the Greatest in the World. And w- one of the things that we all often spend time with is defining what does it mean to be the greatest in the world? Because uh, if you say to someone, greatness it conjures images of comparison, right? That I'm greater than you. And while that's part of it, that's not totally what I mean. Uh, In the dictionary, if you look at definitions of greatness, you'll see words like, you know, of an extent, uh, amount, uh, intensity, uh, considerably above the normal or, or extraordinary. And what I have come, how I've come to de- de- define greatness in this context of being the greatest in the world, uh, greatest is the fullest expression of, of one's creator in a designated endeavor. And while that sounds like it could be spiritual, it sounds like it could be religious, if you've got uh, a, a religious undercurrent, then you would say God or Allah you know, has created me and how can I express what they want, uh, what he or she would want. But even if you're in the space where you feel like you are a religious and you create yourself, okay, you are the creator. What's the greatest expression of your creator in this designated endeavor? And I believe 
that everyone is designed to be the greatest in the world at expressing what their creator wants them to do in that situation. Help me, help me flush this out. Is this, is this holding water? This idea that greatness is the fullest expression of one's creator in, in a designated endeavor. Yeah, I think that it it puts the the judge you you then become the judge of that greatest expression, you know, because you're the one that has the relationship with the creator. And if you're listening to your relationship with that creator as to whether or not your expression is the greatest that came from self, then it's really just a two-way conversation. It's between you and your creator, which is what we oftentimes say a lot like only God can judge me. Well, that's basically what we saying y'all, <laughs> uh, you know, or whoever your creator is. For some reason, when you were um, sharing that, I, I imagined myself being the creator, but me just creating a cookie. Right? So for me to understand this concept, I was like, so what does that look like if I'm the creator? What am I creating? Okay. Maybe I'm just creating a cookie. Maybe I'm just hungry right now, but maybe I'm just creating a cookie. Is this the greatest expression of of cookie that I've cooked thus far? You know, and if I don't feel that way, then that means I need to go back to the recipe. If if I don't feel like that, or if I give it to somebody and I, everybody's faces are sour, I'm like ooh, maybe that ain't the greatest of my cookies <laughs> just yet. You know, so again, we can use the outside world to help us reflect back on ourselves, whether or not this was the best of our ability. But at the end of the day, it's still up to you because you may like your cocktail a certain way and somebody else may like their cocktail a certain way. So even if somebody's mouth goes sour when they try my greatest cookie, but if I taste the cookie and I'm like, I don't know what the hell they tasting because this cookie is good then that's it. You And so you are the creator. So that conversation happens within yourself. And again, if you're, if, if you're looking at your creator being outside of the framework of this cookie example, then it's just a two-way conversation, mm. you know? And, and the way that you know that that conversation is giving you the response or the answers is just how it feels within you. Wow. So again, you then become the ultimate interpret, or interpreter of, of what that greatest expression is or is not. Yeah. And, you know, and even for companies, because every company has a founder, right? And you might be the CEO or the senior executive, but you weren't the founder. And so I would think that it would be within your responsibility to say, okay, is this what the founders intended when they created this company? Am, am, Am I expressing what they intended for their company to represent in the marketplace? And that becomes the standard. And it's so easy. I had a conversation with an executive earlier today and I said, you know, it's it's so tempting to allow the metric to become the objective. Right. Mm-hmm. And and we lose track of, yeah, I, I might be missing these metrics, but man, I'm still I'm still in pursuit of that greatest cookie. Uh, one one last story, because you, you, you brought to mind my grandmother and um Miss Willie Mae Gaddy was the absolute best in the kitchen. All due respect to all the grandmamas out there, <laughs> nobody. The, the, the story is she could cook a pot of rocks and make you come back for seconds. <laughs> but, but 
she she had this pound cake that I have no idea how she did it, but that pound cake would stay moist for two weeks. And I don't know how she did it. And I was in pursuit of nailing her pound cake. And I had the recipe and I mixed the ingredients and, you know, I got a, a high price uh, mixer, you know, and I come to find out I got the same mixer she got. And I did all the things and I just, I could never nail that pound cake. And so I kept trying and it wasn't until uh, she passed on and my mother uh, knew how much I was in pursuit of her, her pound cake. And so my mother uh, gave me her bunt pants. And these were like old school cast iron bunt pants. And I followed the recipe and the, the, the pan made all the difference in the world. Yeah. And it's it was just amazing. It was, again, I, I put in the work, right? And my family had to suffer for it, right? I put in the work, <laughs> but it wasn't until I got that final ingredient and that ingredient being the pan that everything came together. So, and again, even, even throughout the years, everyone would taste it and say, wow, this is pretty good. But I knew, yeah, this is pretty good, but this is not grandmama's. This is not grandmama's. Right. And so I think I think that we might be on to something. So thank you for helping to clarify that for me. Yeah, you know, and what your story just told me too is a you know a, a story of being persistent and just blind persistence. You didn't know what you were missing, but you just knew that you could do it. You just kept trying. You were persistent, and then God said one day, "Here's the pans, brother." <laughs> You was you didn't even know you were missing the pans. And I think that that's a story about anything that we desire, especially when we just don't know the how. How do I get it like grandma's? Well, guess what? I'm still going to practice. I'm still going to show up. I'm still going to do it. And I'm going to do it to what end? Who knows? But at some point in that in that persistent journey, you know, we will get the things that we need in order to to get what we set out to do, you know, set out to have. So I think that the, as you're listening to that story, I was like, all right, Shahar, you got to stay persistent because them bump pants, they coming. <laughs> well, this this has been an amazing conversation. It's hard to believe that uh, we got to close this out. But, I, you know, if you got more time, I got to bring you into the VIP room because yeah. as, as much as as much as my general listeners, uh, I know they enjoyed this conversation. My VIPs are going to ha- absolutely eat you alive. Look, I'm ready. I got my I got my crown royal on ice, <laughs> you know, because it's three o'clock. But, you know, I'm ready for the VIP. All <laughs> right. All right. Well, hey, well, uh, raise your glass. And uh, thank you so much for this conversation, not only for the wisdom that you shared, but just thank you for the model that you're providing to others as to what's on the other side of being who you were created to be. Because you you could have gotten some success being a um, smaller version of Oprah or a lesser version of of Ms. Wanga, but I think because you stepped into uh, Shahara at such a young age and you just honed who you have become, I I think the world is in a better place. 
And so my wish for you is that you would continue to be a model for uh, other leaders and for my little girl who's who is just, oh my God, the world just can't, the world's not ready for what she's gonna put on it once she gets through her experience. And you are absolutely a model for her. So thank you for that. Um, and uh, I'll see you on the other side of the velvet rope. Sounds good, okay, cheers. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.